Welcome to the Sage Thought Leadership Podcast, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Ed Kless, and with me today for the second time is Chris Mealy. Chris is the managing partner for Software Pricing Partners, where he and his team have launched some of the software industry's most transformative monetization strategies. As a former software company founder himself, Chris focuses on the impact of effective licensing, packaging, and pricing strategies that can make on the most essential software companies' metrics, revenue, profit, and valuation. His journey and learning how the art and science around software monetization forever changed his perspective on what it means to run a profitable and successful software company. Welcome back to the Sage Thought Leadership Podcast, Chris Maley. So, Chris, um, we talked about why you do what you do last time. I want to jump right into pricing. It's a major topic of mine that I like to think about as well. So, one thing that's on the mind of many people today is using inflation to justify your price increases. What do you think of that? Uh, it's, it, it can be a trap. Uh, I think that the uh, so inflation is hopefully temporary. We don't know how long it'll be around, but the last sort of data point would have been Carter. And I was very young at the time, but I'm sure we've heard the stories from our parents of interest rates in the 20 plus percent range, but, but they were temporary, right? They came back. And I think if you are arguing to adjust your pricing now for profitability or because costs are higher, which is a portion of profitability, the inflation rationale means that if I tuck behind that argument, at some point in the future, when inflation comes back down, don't be surprised if customers say, hey, can you adjust my price back down? And that's a really big problem in intellectual property, a product that's always evolving to create more and more value. And I think that is the trap that I'm highlighting. So anytime that you can substantiate your price increase for value, the, the additional things coming off the roadmap, the better. And in software, I think it's especially problematic that if you remember from your on-prem days, we would charge you up front, charge you annual maintenance. And then we did this other wonderful thing, which was fascinating. And, and I was on, on, on from the on-prem years, but we would charge you for the next year's version, right? And so that revenue component got somehow morphed into the subscription stream and given away in perpetuity. And there's this idea of what is it that I'm going to commit to you, the customer, to keep the software current? And what is it that I'm going to hold back that I might reserve the right to charge for later? And I and what I've seen is software companies give an enormous amount of value away. And so I think there's probably plenty under the hood to substantiate a price increase on the stuff that's being given away and the roadmap. And I think inflation may, may be kind of a dangerous explanation. Really, any cost justification of pricing, you know, and I, when I, when I hear about baggage fees or, or for example, the airlines charging a fuel surcharge or whatever, I think that's that's not my problem. You you have economists on on staff that were supposed to figure this out. How is my how is your cost structure my problem as a customer? But that's exactly right. You know, we we had I don't know how many interviews we've done with customers over the decades, but the one thing that's always clear is customers don't care about whether or not you're profitable. In fact, customers are totally cool with paying you slightly under your cost profile there. So you're, you're slightly unprofitable, provided, however, you'll answer the support lines. Other than that, I think all of that justification is exactly what you said, Ed. It's just noise. 
Nobody really cares. And I love what you said, too, about there really should be the justification of price because price does not come from costs, in my view. It comes from value. And what I think that companies, especially software companies, but all of them really have to say, here's our value justification. This is why you should pay us more because of the value we're providing. Talk a little bit about that. Well, so uh, from what I've seen, I, I think that even publicly traded companies suffer from this problem, privately held uh, startup, et cetera, is, you know, no, if we always look outside to the competitor and the ecosystem that's been defined, which is somewhat comical from this chair, because all of that's been made up by two founders who were first in the door, then what ends up happening is the, the homework assignment of understanding all the features and capabilities that you're giving people and how they're being used and how that's being transitioned or transformed into value to return back to their customers ecosystems is largely missed and most companies can't even enumerate out a complete list of their value drivers which is funny when you then demand salespeople sell on value well how do you sell on value when you don't even have a documented list of what that value is and i think that a lot of these top-down discussions, charge for value, you know, uh, raise prices and other things are kind of devoid of the ground-up reality of, well, what, what, what does that mean, right? So so if I'm going to sell on value, I agree with you 100%, right? I want to get paid for the value. Then we start to get into, you know, is that a price point issue? Or is that maybe something else that's going on? And I think the something else that's going on is, for one, how did you put your packaging together? You know, if you have a one size fits all offer and it's 10 years old and it's got a gazillion features under the hood, I'm going to show up and say, this is awesome, Ed. I'm not really going to use this stuff over here. So can I have a discount? Cause I'm only going to use 80% of the software. And, and people think that defending value is, you know, being tough on price, but as a salesperson, you desire to have empathy and to be on your customer's side to build a long-term relationship, you're going to feel empathy or I'm going to feel empathy for you, right? That that you're only using 80% of the software. So if I'm lucky enough to get into the deal desk, which in some software companies, everything's the deal desk, then I'm going to argue and go to bat for you because this is a special use case. But what has happened is the packaging has gone awry. It's no longer sort of aligned with how people are using the software. And now this partial use argument, somebody that shows up with this argument, it's like the ninja to the sales team, right? Like you, you're just going to slaughter them on price point. And so there's an example of, well, how do you sell value when the packaging isn't aligned? And then we talked earlier about this idea of consumption, usage-based pricing. This is all um, noise. I, you know, there is a Bill Allett. I listened to him talk in Boston, and he's uh, 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 wrote a whole bunch of stuff on startup. And he said one of the problems in the software industry is we keep picking terms to redefine the same thing. And his example is a pivot. It's like no, that's a change in business strategy. And the more that we can boil things down to a common set of semantics or language, the better that we can share knowledge. And so, usage-based pricing, consumption. You know, since 1982, when this firm started you are in the business of providing a service or a product piece of intellectual property whose job it is to deliver value likely from the usage of that product or service so this idea of usage-based pricing i think is better casted as what thing are we going to count that defines the range of quantities that our sales teams are going to be able to quote and those range of quantities define 
the range of deal sizes that we're going to be up against. So just on one side, the quantity is one, all you can eat. You can do whatever you want in the software. Easiest thing to sell, hardest thing to ever make an expansion sale on. Like you're done after you sell that. On the other side, uh, I'm going to charge you every time uh, an AI model runs and recognizes a face on one of your 800,000 cameras across the U.S. Well, the range of quantities are going to be huge, right? And guess what? You're not going to be able to sell that because nobody knows the answer and, and is going to be able to estimate that in a sales transaction. So the buyer is going to perceive this exorbitant risk of a misestimate. And so they're immediately either going to bail or they're going to convert it to a flat fee. You're just not going to be able to sell that because they're not going to be able to withstand that kind of variation. And so when we get into this term of consumption, I think it sort of consumption and usage almost implies a bit flag. If it, you're either doing it or you're not, but actually it's a range of outcomes. So for example, in AI facial model detection, well, maybe I don't charge you every time the model runs. Maybe I just charge you based on the number of models that are out there, a knowable number, or maybe I just charge you a, a platform fee, or maybe I charge you by users. I mean, these are all forms of consumption, which just boil down to ranges of quantities that the sales team are going to see. And what are you comfortable with inside the revenue model for the kinds of revenue that you want to produce? And, and I think that those conversations are more beneficial than we slap another acronym on them. Because right, it's, it's really it's really just a proxy, and and one of the one of the proxies that you mentioned is is also like saying to the customer, "Would you like to buy my unicorn?" Because they really don't have any idea what. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there is an exit question that we ask all of our guests, Chris, and that is, "Who is a hero of yours, and why are they a hero?" Well, mine would be Alan Watts, and so this is in the um, uh, philosophical realm, philosophy, and I I think that. Much of what we do in sales as salespeople and software companies has to do with philosophy. You know, what is your philosophy of how you'll treat a customer? And what is that philosophical underpinning to your pricing? Because at its heart, I don't believe you can say, we put the customer in the center of our universe. But then if I look at your transaction data, Ed, you and your friend Tom bought exactly the same thing. You paid a million and Tom paid 200,000. That That's not really philosophically consistent with treating customers uniformly and fairly. And I think if you define that, and I think as engineers, at least me personally, I had a computer science degree. It's not like I had a lot of philosophy. I didn't uncover that until my 30s as I started getting into a sales career selling software. But I think the more that we reflect on those disciplines, the more it helps guide us into the kinds of cultures we want to build with our customers and price how we expand and the, the number that we ask back from our customer to pay us in subscription fees or upfront is a big part of how you treat them uniformly, fairly. And it needs to be, I think, discussed a lot more often. And lastly, Chris, how can somebody contact you? Softwarepricing.com. All right. Chris Mealy, Mealy, sorry. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Sage Thought Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me back at Review and subscribe by searching your podcast player of choice for Sage Thought Leadership Podcast.